showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Welcome back to Relationship Psych, the podcast. Today I have Tanya Kolesnik, who is a psychotherapist, a licensed clinical social worker, and she got into this line of work after group therapy changed her life. And I'm very excited to have this conversation and hear how it changed her life because she doesn't know this yet, but it changed mine too. So she has a bunch of experience in outpatient mental health, private practice, and wellness center settings. Um, from these experienced experiences, it's helped her focus on really important issues, helping people clear their energetic clutter so we can focus on what matters most in our life. And if you're anything like me, sometimes it is hard to act in alignment with what you value, what you care about, because there's a lot of clutter that goes on every day act coming at you from every direction. It's hard to live in alignment. So I'm excited to talk about that. She helps her clients access and honor their truth, change habits that don't serve them anymore and heal faulty narratives that they're living so that they can live in alignment inside and out. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you here, Tanya. Tanya. Thank you, Amber. I'm so happy to be here. Perfect. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear. So group therapy something changed my life as well. Certainly why I'm in this field. Um, but can, tell us a little bit about, I guess, the group therapy experience and how, how it did change your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to hear a little bit about yours as well. But so for me, when I was in my mid-20s, I was a graphic designer at the time and really struggling. I wanted so badly to have a long-term love relationship. I longed ultimately to get married one day and have kids. And I didn't know how I was gonna get to where I was struggling with that to this really dream that I had for my life. And at the time, this was 30 years ago, um, I had, or more than 30 years ago actually, and I had, felt a lot of stigma connected to the idea of therapy. So for a while, it wasn't an option that I saw for myself. And I don't think I really saw my own problems as legitimate enough as for a reason to get into therapy. But the more I struggled, the more I considered that option. And at some point when I finally opened up to it, I was brave enough to ask for a few names and I got connected to a wonderful therapist named Bonnie. And that experience was very quickly felt healing. I felt very safe to be in the space with her and start sharing my story with her and didn't feel judged. And um, that felt like it was off to a great start, but then she suggested that I add group therapy to the mix. And the thought of that terrified me. Uh, I was being more vulnerable with Bonnie than I had been with anybody. So the thought of opening up in a similar way to who were strangers at the time scared me, but 
Bonnie thought it would be helpful. I was developing some trust in her and I was intrigued, even though I was scared. So I decided to do it. And it was in that experience where I think the biggest message I got from that was that I wasn't alone. Being able to hear other humans on their own personal growth journeys, sharing very similar insecurities to what I had, because I went into that experience feeling very flawed. I felt mm -hmm. that maybe I wasn't meeting somebody because there was something unlovable about me. And that was scary to investigate that messaging. And when I saw people that, and I was starting to get to know them and admiring these people and seeing how amazing they were and they talked about similar insecurities, it helped me ease up my own inner critic and it helped me really know that we were on this human journey together and no longer hold on to that story that I was flawed and I was able to switch that to, oh, this is just human stuff. So by hearing the experience of others, that shift, you were able to change the meaning of it without any necessarily direct work. It just sounds like relating that it shifted for you. Is that right? Yeah, it was a combination of things. Very much that. That was very powerful. I think telling bits of my own story little by little and, you know, people didn't run out of the room saying or, or reject me for the story that I was telling. And, right. and um, so it was a, a combination of being able to be vulnerable, allow myself to be seen, see other people and hear their stories. Um, yeah, it was really powerful. And what happened for me is pretty early on, as I started to get rid of that story that I was flawed and embraced my truer self. So prior to that time, I was spending a lot of time curating how I was showing up in the world, trying to think everything through before I would say it to make sure it sounded okay, it looked okay. And that kind of energy is felt. And so while I was busy curating everything, I really wasn't very present. I right. didn't have a lot of organic flow to me. And I think as I started to get more comfortable in my own skin, people did start to resonate, uh, not resonate, um, gravitate towards me in a way that I hadn't experienced before then. And then I started to meet men during that time and pretty soon after met my husband. And prior to that, I would think, hmm, I wonder if he's gonna like me. That was always how I would approach any potential partner. And now as I was exploring sort of all the different layers, my question changed to, huh, I wonder how I'm going to feel about him. I wonder how, whether or not we're going to be a good fit. And That's a big shift. Big shift, huge shift. And I actually did meet who then became my husband pretty early on. And he and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. We have two grown kids now. So the whole reason why I went to therapy and then group happened. Um, but the part that I didn't anticipate was really connecting to myself in this very deep and meaningful way that was so meaningful. Like my life took on this quality, rich quality to it that I didn't experience before that I 
uh, changed my career. And I went back to school. That's when I got my master's in social work and, um, and did some coaching after that. And yeah, I've been um, dedicating my life since then to really helping people have transformations of their own, always doing group, always finding group to be one of the very most powerful ways to help people sort of connect to themselves. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing to think like going to group helps you connect to yourself because often you think, oh crap, it's going to connect me to others. And it, and it does usually as well. Yeah, yeah. But through the connection of others, there are mirrors which allow us to see ourselves in a different way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I got to say that shift you, you made again, because like that shift, I think there's so many people that need to remember and hear that shift that's struggling with dating. And the question that you said, like you were always asking yourself if, if they liked you. And you shifted that from something like, will this cause a good, create a good relationship? Do, how do I feel about them? That's, that's right. a really big shift and it can help with some of the anxiety, like, oh, do they, do they like me? The uncertainty, but you can tap into some of the certainty within yourself. How do I feel? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, when you went into group at the very beginning, do you remember what you were most afraid of? Yes. <laughs> I was, not only do I remember it, but then I had another experience connected to that. So I was most afraid that people would find me unlovable. Like the very thing that I was afraid of so that the more I showed people, they would say, oh, you're right. You were right to worry about that. Of course, like there's, you're not lovable. So that was my fear. Mm -hmm. And um, the first session that I went in for this group, I had thought the therapist would introduce me to the others and I don't I mean I guess I do know why she didn't she didn't which was unusual I mean when I do my groups I do introduce people but I really felt like oh she wants me to develop my own voice I mean that's what I took away I don't know if I ever even checked that out with her but I, I, mean, I love the takeaway whether or not <laughs> it was I love the meaning you created yeah. So, so the first group, I didn't say much at, because I was watching and waiting to be introduced and it didn't happen. And at the very end, the leader did say, uh, how come you're so quiet? And then I took that in as an in to introduce myself, but then group was almost over. So it was in the second session when I started to share more of my story and why I was there. And there was a, a man in the group um, this particular group had men and women in it. And there was a man in group who said he could spot my neediness immediately. And that was so sort of devastating for me because- yeah, I, I feel didn't... devastated for you to say that. I was waiting for like, what is her reaction? Cause I'm about to react. Yeah, it, it was so like, I really felt this urge to run out of the room. It was the very thing that I was so afraid somebody might, see in me and then he said it and but there was something very powerful about number one surviving it number two having the thing I feared the most said and I was able to sit with that and then start to own this piece of okay yeah like there is a longing here there is something I really want there is some neediness here, but that doesn't make me unlovable. And to sort of separate the two was really helpful. And just to start tolerating some of the discomfort and move forward from that place, I, I think that was a very pivotal moment in my life. 
so pivotal pivotal and I wrote it down just so I didn't lose my train of thought just you know I think for so many of us we're afraid of our one of our worst fears coming true thinking we'll never cope if it does and in this case it's an example of one of your deep fears coming true yeah and rather than turning maybe you were sad or upset but rather than just becoming a puddle and never stopping being a puddle you did cope Mm -hmm. you ended up being okay and in fact you went back yeah yes yeah and I think there was even some ownership that came out of that where it was like, all right, so I'm a little needy because there's this unmet experience in my life that I've been longing for and to even own that I really wanted it because I well, think- There's power in owning that, that yeah. can, like I can be needy and I find there's power in owning that, yeah, I am what I have unmet needs. You're correct. I come up, I can come across very needy in fact, and that's the way I am. So yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was something too. And like, yes, I want this. And this is something it, it kind of almost allowed me just to lead with it instead. Not that I was saying it to everybody that I met along the yeah. way, but just even that I could just hold that and not feel like I had to hide it. There was that piece of always feeling like I had to hide my truth because I felt shame of struggling mm -hmm. to have a long-term relationship and, yeah. and you know that whole narrative that I already shared with you was very brought on a lot of shame yeah of course and what is the when we start to share I think they're like a Brene Brown book yeah. seems like it's coming in my head but you know shame when we have shame and we keep it in the dark it grows but when you expose it to the light it vanishes kind of or it lessens yeah and I'm yeah. hearing a big story of you taking big risks and being willing put out those thoughts and feelings out there and even though there was some neediness and someone even made a comment you continue to share but mm -hmm. it ended up being okay yeah 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 so what did you what did you do you remember how come you're willing to go to the second meeting I was just thinking about that I was just thinking that yes I am even thinking of that guy actually and he was enjoyable I mean that was a harsh comment but also like Re these relationships developed and there was warmth in there as well. And you talked earlier about the mirror part and yeah. to hear back from people, other parts that they saw in me, not just the neediness, but also, you know, some of, some of the ideas that I put out there that they valued them and they felt supported by me. That was very meaningful and probably was a beginning to me wanting to become a therapist, but yeah, um, yeah just the warmth and, and the being human together, the humor and being able to see ourselves in each other. And yeah. that was an amazing experience. Of course. And I just like, Anybody, if you're thinking about group, I like to say, like, usually give a group six tries before you decide if it's for you or not, because it's sometimes the first, the first day, second, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go how you hoped. Maybe you didn't take away from it, but if you can stay with something, give it a real shot. Because very often the first time isn't an accurate uh, sample size of what it can really, what experience it can really bring you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my experience, I started group therapy as a sibling because my brother went into residential addictions or kind of residential and ish mm -hmm. addictions treatment. And if you lived in the family home, you had to be part of the treatment. Mm -hmm. And I was like 23 or 24 at the time. I knew there was dissatisfactions in my life, but I thought they were due to my addict brother. Nothing to do with me. I, I was doing well in school. I was in university. I was on Team Canada for Taekwondo. I was awesome. 
it was all him that was the problem. If he could only be fixed, I would be fine. Mm. So I had to join the sibling group, which I was doing everything I could to move out of the family home. So I didn't have to be in the sibling group. Mm -hmm. But while I lived in the family home, I had to go or my brother couldn't go to treatment. So I went. Uh, and the first couple months I'm thinking, you know, this is dumb or first couple weeks I'm thinking this is dumb. And then like a month or so in, I'm thinking I had already secured a place. I was lined up ready to move out. And I'm thinking, I don't think I want to leave. I think I like this group. Uh, <laughs> I think I like these people. I, who knew I had problems too. This family disease of addiction has also impacted me. Oh man, I have lots of feelings about my, my, myself, my brother, my life, my family. Um, and then I ended up not moving out, staying in the family home and staying part of treatment because it became so powerful, but it was only through kind of my forced experience of having to be there that I was willing to give it a shot. And equally my career started because then I went on to work at that treatment center later on. Mm. And then I went and did again, more school and here we are today, but it's through the experience of being in group that got me wanting to be in this profession. Wow. I love that. I mean, I love that we're both at just that feels like a very cool energy between us. Yeah. We both had such a life-changing experience in that kind yeah. of Yeah. Because I didn't like, I knew I was upset about things in my life, but I didn't have names for them. Mm -hmm. I didn't have words for them. I couldn't yeah. identify or express it, but having other people say it and talk about their experience, you're like, oh yeah, that's what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you see the hope on the other side or how their life has shifted or changed, you see their strengths and their resilience, you start thinking, gee, what if I could have that? Or mm -hmm. I wonder if I could talk to them, go for a coffee with them or like, oh, or just listen to them in the, in the group. And you're like, oh, and you gain so much through their experience, strength and hope. And then eventually you're not the new person anymore and you're someone people look up to. And it's like this really cool kind of feedback experience. Um, but getting there, <laughs> getting yeah. there is can be like quite a, quite a jump in. But once you're in it, you've given it a shot. It's, I mean, there's kind of almost nothing I found that feels quite the same as being connected in a group like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I love what you were saying about as the group shifts and other new people come in, because not everybody structures their group that way, but that is the way the groups that I were, um, that I was in with this therapist, that's how she structured them. You know, you would come and when it was your time to leave, you would go and that people would come in and out um, at various times. And I run my groups that way too, but there's something, I always think of group as a microcosm about the world outside of group. And, you know, we need to learn how do we allow new people into our lives and what does that, that look like as we start to develop and evolve and all of that. And the other thing I was going to say about sort of my experience and also how I do it um, when I do my groups is groups and individual having a combination of both can be really helpful with the same person because then you have a shared social experience. Mm. Whereas when you're a therapist or coach with individuals, they're telling you stories, but you don't actually see them in that role. You see them with you, but it's also a very special kind of a role. But when as a coach or therapist, you're able to see your clients interact with other people, you can see what does feel different about when you're alone with them versus when they're in a group situation and how do they show up in that kind of situation. It's so yeah. much information in that. Yeah, totally. So this is how you got into this line of work. You run groups now. Mm -hmm. And what is the main topic of the groups you run at this point? So 
I really run groups and they're mostly focused on human stuff, which I know is so broad. Um, but I have, I would say typically it's between um, early, late twenties maybe to about sixties is typically the age range and people bring whatever it is they're working on. So it's really for people who want to be in better alignment in their lives, enjoy their lives more, what's in the way and get clear about those things. And the way that I structure my groups is um, I run my groups every other week and then I offer a topic. The week between I'll offer a topic to the group that they can just start mulling over thinking about for themselves the following week. So the topics are human things like energy. What is the kind of thing that depletes you? What's the kind of thing that um, replenishes you and start to talk about that in the group situation? Because we all sort of need to manage our energy as we're going through our lives. So that's an example of a topic. Um, the topic that I just offered for this next group session is where do you have some ease and flow in your life? And where do you have more struggle or effort seems to be needed? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They think about that. We come in, we talk about that. Always, if there's something pressing, that kind of gets priority. So if anybody comes in with any kind of um, crisis or some deadline that they need to figure something out for, we can support that first, but then we get into the topic. I think of the topics and grow them out of each group session, but people are always invited to suggest that. Cool. And yeah, so that's basically it. So what do you think about like living in alignment? What does that mean to you? So to me, it's really starting to identify what matters, what our values are, what are the things that bring us peace and joy and meaning? And the more we can start to identify those and build our lives around those things that we've identified, the more our lives have flow to it. Um, and there's just a certain richness that we have, are able to experience when we're in alignment. When people are out of alignment, I feel like there's more, um, resentment because maybe we're saying yes to things we don't want to be saying yes to. There can be a lot of getting depleted because it feels like there's so many things on the list. A lot of people struggle, I think, to prioritize themselves. And so maybe think, okay, I'll come back to myself later when I've done this whole list of things. And then it, we can be so exhausted by them that we try again the next day, but then days go by where that's not happening. So when people really can make the commitment to connecting to their truest selves, and that for many of us means slowing down so we can connect to that part of ourselves, then you can get into much more flow and meaning like we were, like I was mm -hmm. saying. So what do you think are some of the first steps to connecting with yourself and finding more flow and meaning? probably getting a sense of where you're um, struggling. So it could be noticing, huh, I feel irritable a lot. What are some of the triggers for that? Or I feel depleted. What are some of the 
things that I notice I'm feeling most depleted. So sometimes what I suggest that people do is start to track. Um, so not a full on journaling. I know journaling can be a really helpful tool. Sometimes journaling can be overwhelming for people. I know sometimes people feel very guilty about, I was supposed to journal, but I didn't do it, that kind of thing. But just tracking when you find that you're in a cranky mood, what happened right before that, when you're feeling exhausted, what happened right before that, so that we can start to identify patterns and the patterns and limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are really helpful and important to start to identify because we all have them. We all bring different beliefs that got conditioned, usually in our childhood. Sometimes it happens along the way as well, um, even when we're adults, but often in childhood. So an example that I often share from my own life is I have a tendency towards people pleasing behaviors and I have to really stay on top of that. And part of that for me was growing up with a mother who experienced a lot of anxiety that came out as anger and rage. So as a kid, I learned, uh-uh, don't want to rock the boat. Right. And so I kind of learned how to just be what she wanted me to be so that I didn't have to deal with her anger and rage. And that developed into just people pleasing in general, probably not all her. I mean, there's a lot of other messaging that we can get along the way, especially women. I think the whole good girl thing, um, but so for me, learning, oh, I have this tendency and this is why I have this tendency and to catch myself because otherwise I'm over accommodating or I say yes to things I don't wanna do and then I get resentful or I get tired. I mean, I've been working on this for a while now so this doesn't typically happen anymore. I usually catch it, not always. I mean, I still have that urge and there's fear connected to that, right? So that's protective, that developed in childhood and was protective. So when I'm not people pleasing, I get afraid of rejection and um, yeah, I mean, even professionally, oh, if I'm not people pleasing, maybe I'll lose all my clients and, and some of those things. So I don't even remember what the question is now, but that I think, I hope that answered it. I'm sure it does. I don't remember what the question was either, either but I loved your answer. Um, so, you know, you talked about saying yes to different things that as part of people pleasing that maybe you wanted to say no to feeling resentful and you knew that this is people pleasing, maybe leading you out of alignment. I know you're all about energetic clutter. Would these be examples of energetic clutter behaviors? Yes. Yeah. So for me, energetic clutter, are, there's a lot, right, that demands our energy and our attention. And if we're not discerning about what we allow in there, we can sort of use all our energy up on things that don't matter to us. So if we follow along with the people-pleasing example and say, okay, here I am, people pleasing, saying yes about certain things, maybe being accommodating for clients at times that don't work for me and, and just kind of doing that and then feeling exhausted, feeling maybe sorry for myself that I didn't get to the things that mattered for me, maybe feeling a little bit um, worried that I'm not going to be able to have achieve the dreams that I have for myself because I can't get past a certain point 
just in my day, that kind of thing. So to really recognize, oh, I'm putting a lot of energy in these places and starting to understand where it's, it's almost like this vicious cycle where it, it's not bringing me anywhere new. It's not moving the needle towards my dreams in any way. It's not feeling in alignment for me. And so the more I can start to identify those things, the better. And one example that comes to mind because it kind of falls on both sides of this is the idea of being accommodating to people. Because for me, it's a real red flag. If I'm starting to be accommodating for somebody, when it doesn't work for me. Because the truth is I love to be accommodating when it works. I'm pretty able to like adjust and flow when it works. And so just with this idea of accommodating, knowing my tendency, knowing what the red flag is, but also allowing it. It's part of what I like to do, how I like to show up as long as it works for me, which is very different than how it used to be, where it was this idea of like, oh, they want something a certain way, I better say yes, because if I don't say yes, there's gonna be trouble. Um, so it, it's um, just to highlight the nuance of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there is so many nuances. Yeah. I loved what you said, couple minutes ago something about like when we're kind of in the clutter we're not doing anything that folk that moves the needle mm -hmm. in the direction of our dreams mm -hmm. so I can get stuck in that and so many of my clients can get stuck in that I, they're like I know what the dream is but I'm not hitting the target what's wrong with me it can lead to like self um blaming thoughts or yeah. self uh, questions like is there something yeah. wrong with me yeah yeah how do you help people identify what really does matter, what their dreams are. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is the knowing when you're starting to get depleted and where you're starting to get depleted so that you can give yourself some space to connect mm -hmm. yourself and then to very deliberately do some things that helps you um, connect to yourself. So I mentioned journaling earlier, mm -hmm. Um, actually saying for some people it can be overwhelming, but if you are really ready to start getting on like a journey of getting some clarity about that. So journaling can be a really helpful tool going on retreats. I'm actually running a retreat um, in, I know that this stuff is evergreen, but it, running a retreat April 1st and 2nd, 2023 in New York, but the, it's created to help people connect more deeply with themselves. And one of the reasons why I think group is so powerful is you don't necessarily have to go into the situation knowing certain things about yourself, but you can walk away from that having connected to things you didn't even realize based on what resonates for you. So somebody's speaking about something maybe you haven't thought of in 20 years, but you notice yourself like having memories flood you or getting excited about something. If somebody's touching on something that really touches on something in you that you were not connecting to. So kind of putting yourself in environments where that kind of thing comes up. Um, Julia Cameron, who wrote the book, The Artist's Way, which she wrote it a long time ago, but it's been very useful for many people, really helpful. And one of the things that she talks about in 
when she's talking to people about the creative process, but this is true for all kinds of things, is taking yourself on an artist's date. And that the idea of that is to go places where you will be sparking inspiration. And so it could be something like a bookstore or just walking in nature or something, but allowing yourself to be in space where you can really connect and, and let things sort of bubble up. Isn't that, I love what you said there about like going out in a different space to connect and let things bubble up. Um, so many of my clients, they're like, I'm not inspired or I have no motivation or I can't connect to what matters to me. When we start talking about what they do or how they spend their days, they do the same thing every day mm-hmm. or they now work from home by themselves and only see themselves every day yeah. or things like that. And I think what you just said, the artist journey, what you've just talked about. And I think the research supports one of the big ways to get inspiration, connection, clarity is to go out and do stuff. Yeah. Do stuff that hopefully is fun and you like doing. And if it's not fun, then like maybe someone who felt the way you wanted to feel would think it was fun mm-hmm. or you go do stuff that gives you a sense of purpose or sense of mastery. And it can be trying new things, but we only get a sense, I think sometimes of like what we really like, what we care about, what we're passionate about by doing different things and not doing and then changing up our environment. Yeah, yeah. And really feeling what some of those things feel like in our bodies, because I think sometimes we're trying to think our way to it. But when, like what you're saying, when we're not bringing any new information in, then the thoughts really aren't new either. And also we're not able to connect into our bodies about what's coming up for us. So if you are in an environment or starting like, I think I like this you know, jewelry making is something I've reconnected to recently. And I remember really liking it and sort of getting back into it and feeling what it feels like to be doing some of those things. And in that kind of space, what does that feel like can help us get some clarity on how we want to continue? Yeah, totally. I love that. Yeah. Those things are neat. Clarity, feel it. Clarity. Yeah. So let's imagine someone sat down, they've done some journaling, they've done some connecting, they're starting to identify like, oh, I'm starting to see what the clutter is. Uh Then what are some of the next steps to shifting and moving and adjusting the clutter, putting it somewhere else? I think, um, well, a couple of things. I I do on my website, I have a free, um, just three question inquiry. That's, I mean, I can give you the cheat sheet. The cheat sheet is, it's, it talks about how to do it, but really to connect in real time. What do you want more of? What do you want less of? And how are you going to honor both of those things, but little to start really small and to not feel like you need the grand answer to that. It can be just a small answer of, I just know that today, let's say, um, well, I'm thinking after you and I are finished talking, I can really wind my work day down early, which I don't always get the opportunity to do. It depends, you know, I'm working, actually I'm working on, on not being so um, focused on, I've got to hustle, I've got to do so many things and to really embrace more quiet. So that's something that I've identified for myself. And so looking for opportunities where I can connect to that quieting down focus. So mm-hmm. for anybody, I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering even for you, if anything could come quickly to your mind, just to give another layer to this that you could 
honor for yourself? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have like this twofold goal. It's like to be more peaceful mm-hmm. and happy. But mm-hmm. I am a like, let's take on 50 projects. Oh, you want to do a training in this area? So last year I decided my goal was to be peaceful, but I decided to take Gottman certification uh-huh. and take a copywriting certificate at the University of Toronto. So I have two fairly extensive extracurricular education things mm-hmm. in addition to running my own business. And in addition to like the extra projects, like this podcast I do in my yeah. business. Yeah. And I got halfway through the year and like, I'm not, I'm not peaceful or relaxed or chill at all. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. So I had to take an honest look and be like, oh, cause I haven't set up my life for that to be the case. Yeah. I've set my life up to do what I always do, which is take on too much, feel yeah. burnt out and tired and stressed. Yeah. Um, and so what I had to do is take a look at my calendar, get rid of some things. So this podcast, for example, used to come out weekly. Now it only comes out bi-weekly uh-huh. um, cause I had to let go of something. So I had space for myself. I finished my copywriting certificate. Now I'm not taking anything <laughs> else. And I had to give myself permission to like watch TV in the daytime because yeah. I work weird hours. So yeah. I work later. So I work to like uh, eight or nine, but that means I can watch TV at eight or eight or, eight or nine in the morning. But in my head, it's like, oh, it's unproductive. But I have to be willing to let go of that story. Yeah. And remind myself it is okay. I'm still going to work eight hours. It's okay yeah. if I want to chill and watch TV in the morning. And it's okay if I don't want to work eight hours too. Yeah. Like, Thankfully I have that luxury, but I had to really get in touch with and channel like, how do I act in alignment with what I want and get honest with, I'm not acting in alignment with what I want to make some shifts. I don't remember the question you asked something about like deeper layer. And I went on to this tangent. So that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. And I think that's exactly, I mean, I think we're you and I together just sort of exploring how does somebody do that when they recognize that they are engaged in sort of all this energetic clutter. And so that that was a great example of that. And, And I've had to do that as well. This phase of my work, I started this, my most recent business, I've done different private practice work for other people, but a year ago, so last January, and I definitely had shiny object syndrome for a while, trying to decide how am I going to set things up, what matters to me, and trying to get clear on that. And very similar for me as well, realizing, oh, I've got this idea that I have to work super, super hard to reach all my goals. And then I was feeling depleted. So working on that, just slowing that down has been such an important part for me. But what you described about your process, catching it, naming it, um, and making some decisions connecting to it, connected to it, and deciding what you will continue with, what you won't, what might be for now, what might be for later. And for me, a lot of it is this is all great stuff, but the pace kind of has to be this overarching thing for me, because if I'm doing too much, it doesn't matter what it is I get depleted, even if it's stuff that I love. So I have to be mindful of that for Mm -hmm. myself. And that can be like the kicker too. Like I love so many things I do, but when I do them all too often, I'm tired and kind of grouchy and really not showing up the best in any of the arenas because I've never gotten any downtime. Yes. Yeah. Or like even just as small as like when I was taking some of those courses. So when I was taking, you know, my copywriting course, I could notice I'd fill my weekends, but I wouldn't give myself any time to do homework. So I'd be doing it like these weird times mm-hmm. and like weird hours that like my brain wasn't working. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then again, just makes you step back and think, Hey, what is the goal? What is the dream? And then how do I need to adjust my calendar and my life? And what do I have to say no to? That's so right. kind of people please ish. A lot of times it's expectations of others or expectations of my clients and my schedule or mm-hmm. how fast I should respond to something. Yeah. And I've had to get really comfortable with saying no and letting people wait, which That's sometimes true. I'm not popular mm-hmm. with people, but I feel okay in my skin when mm-hmm. I honor what my needs are first, yeah. which yeah. is hard to do. Totally. It is hard to do. And very similar things that I've had to adjust in my life as well. Pace, you know, how quickly responding to people, that kind of thing. Me too. Um, Yeah. And just even the downtime thing. I love what you said about just allowing yourself to watch TV in the morning, like, and that's going up against one of those limiting beliefs, right? Like that's not okay. Or just a narrative in our culture. And there is something about Many people feel like downtime is something you have to earn, but Mm. it's really such an important part of being able to be sort of balanced in your life and grounded. And so to know how to bring that into your life, not in this only if you get to that place where you've gotten it all done. And I'm putting that in air quotes because whoever gets it all done. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So we've talked about limiting beliefs a little bit, and I feel like, you know, it's a self-explanatory concept, but just in case someone is listening and like, what is this? Can you explain what limiting beliefs are a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So limiting beliefs are really beliefs that we're holding onto that keeps, that keep us limited in some ways. And they're usually beliefs that grew out of our childhoods. So some of the common ones are really worthiness. People Mm -hmm. feel like they have to earn their worth. That's a common limiting belief. Another common one is that productivity is the best way to use our time and everything else sort of falls beneath that. Um, You know, there are some ways that we talk about women in our culture. For example, the, the biggest compliment we give a mother is that she's so selfless which is the thing that I work with all my clients to undo this idea of being selfless somehow is a better way to be. Um, And so those are just examples of some that grow out of people's childhoods, but yeah. yeah. So, and then once you become aware of these limiting beliefs, how can you start to change them so they're not so limiting? Yeah, I think awareness is huge. Without the awareness, then the other parts can't happen. So the more aware you can get, so that's sort of the process that we were talking earlier about paying attention, tracking, that kind of thing, and starting to count backwards. So for many people, it could be like, I see myself stumbling in this one place. I wonder where it came from. And to try and think back back as children our brains are always or forever but including as when we're children our brains are making decisions about what's safe and what's not safe Mm -hmm. and having food and shelter and love and all of that is our primary goal as a kid and we can't give that to ourselves so we're learning by our caretakers how we need to show up to kind of get the support that we need from the caretakers and we're raised in all kinds of different ways from different human beings. So it depends on what our caretakers might've been struggling with. So I shared the story about my mom. Um, I know some people who, well, I know you had substance abuse in your household. So sometimes that with a caretaker can lead to very unpredictable 
outcomes. So sometimes people get very preoccupied with the idea of needing to control a lot of things because they've grown up in very unpredictable environments. So that can be a limiting belief where, yeah. you know, safety is in control, that kind of thing. So, totally. yeah. Okay. We have talked about so much good stuff in so many different areas, limiting beliefs, energetic clutter, the power of group therapy, from all the things we've talked about today, is there anything that you hope our listeners take away? I think that the, um, the thing that is the thread that goes through it all is to be kind to yourself because I think we can all get so nasty inside our own heads. True. If we can be kind to ourselves through the process, it will help us continue forward and stay on a journey that allows us to learn about ourselves and grow rather than try to not look. So the more we can be kind to ourselves and trust that it's really in this checking in with ourselves, how you doing, what do you need again and again and again, and, and still, right? Like you're saying, well, I still have issues with that. So do I, like we're human, like that stuff doesn't go away. We still need to check and see where we are, see what we need. So I think that's it. The biggest message I want people to take away is be kind to yourself and keep checking in. Beautiful message. So if people want this free guide you have, or they want to follow you, find you, learn more about you, where can they do that? The easiest way is to um, go to my website and the easiest way to find that is clearenergeticclutter.com. It's my name too, but that's tricky. So we'll just do clearenergetic.com. Okay. I'm sorry, clearenergeticclutter.com. Clearenergeticclutter.com. Okay. And so what I'll do is I'll link your website in the show notes. And then if people are interested, they want to follow you, find you learn more about you. That's the way that they can do that. Yeah. And then if they're interested, you know, say a little bit more about your retreat. If anybody's interested in that, where can they learn more or what other highlights should they know about this retreat? Yeah. Um, so the retreat, it's just a deep weekend reset. So if somebody really is wanting to connect to limiting beliefs and start to understand how to turn those around, that's what it's, uh, Kathy Anisi is the name of the other retreat leader. She and I, are going to help guide people through this journey of really learning how to let go of some of the things in the way and embrace some of what you really want in your lives and get that started. There's a um, virtual group two weeks prior and another virtual group two weeks afterwards so that there is some ongoing work that starts before the retreat actually starts so that it can be a more... Um, woven more into people's lives because of course the goal is for people to be able to integrate this work into their lives and to really start to feel a shift um, and it's in cold spring new york and it's on a farm property it's just beautiful like we really purposely chose kind of a magical environment as well because the community is amazing that comes together and just having an environment that feels magical just helps the whole experience be pretty awesome that's great that sounds very magical imagining farm experience <laughs> and imagining like it sounds like you do some really cool deep work where people are really getting in touch with themselves i'm having like my own probably 
I'm probably rethinking of an uh, a time in the past where I've been at a farm and done some deep work. I went to like a farm-ish retreat once. So I've got mm-hmm. this own image in my head of what it was like right now. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll link that. Um, it, we'll put the link to your website. That's on your website. I'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. 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 That's in, that's in um, the website. So people can find Perfect. that. Yeah. Well, if you're interested, sounds really cool, people. We've heard about the power of group and being around other people today. Well, Tanya, thank you for this beautiful conversation, for doing the work you do, for creating and putting out groups. You've inspired me. I don't, I don't run groups. And I was sitting throughout this whole thing being like, what group should I run? (laughs) So thank you for bringing me back to why I even got in this field. Yeah. Um, So just thank you so much for being on. I appreciate this conversation so much. And thank you so much. And I really appreciate you also sharing so much of yourself in our conversation. I loved hearing about it. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.